0: welcome back to Building Better Basketball, the Basketball Australia Coaches podcast. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach Development Manager at Basketball Australia. Today's guest has more stamps in her passport than anyone we have ever had on the podcast before, as basketball has taken her all over the world. Priyanka Karunakaran is the head of operations for the rollers, gliders, spinners, devils, and all in the national 3x3 teams. If that wasn't enough in a normal year, she is also working with the focus to the Paris Com Games in 2024. There are so many different ways pre involvement with coaches and also a unique perspective across all the different formats of the game. Welcome to Building Better Basketball Pre. And I guess the first question I always ask you when we catch up, where in the world are you?
1: Thanks, Neil, for that introduction. Firstly, um, I'm excited to be on this, even though I tried dodging you a couple of times, but <laughs> this is this is new for me. So um thank you for having me. I'm currently in Melbourne, but um about 24 hours away from being on a plane so that's exciting <laughs> just
0: another day ending and why for you Priyanka <laughs> with the Commonwealth Games that you've been to the Olympics you've been to with 3x3 and wheelchair can you tell everyone just a little bit about the whole uh, PK basketball journey
1: yep um, absolutely so I guess. The PK journey. So basketball has always been a great love for me. I played at a competitive level in India before I moved to Melbourne to study sport management. Um, and I landed my first job. It was a dream job at Basketball Australia in 2015. I started as a coordinator in the competitions team under Paul Maley um, and was leading the delivery of the National Wheelchair Leagues. Within the first week of my role, um, I had to travel to Perth. Uh, for the NWBL finals, which, by the way, was my first exposure to wheelchair basketball ever. Needless to say, I was absolutely mind blown by the level of competition, the athleticism, the ability and the skill of these incredible athletes. I still remember my first game. I remember watching Perth Wheelcats play Queensland spinning bullets, and Sean Norris, who is also known as the wizard, he spun 360 in his chair and shot a fadeaway three-pointer to on the buzzer to secure the win for that game. So I was just, yeah, amazed. And that was my first exposure to wheelchair basketball. It was just incredible. Um, and then I guess three years later, I was offered to fill in uh, for the rollers as team manager on a tour to Tokyo. And I'm lucky and privileged to say I've managed to keep that role. Um and, and have had the most incredible opportunities to work with such an elite team over the years.
0: You've kind of undersold yourself a little bit there, Priyanka. So let's just tick them off. Commonwealth Games, tech.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean I guess moving on to three X3, I do have a I do have a snippet from my first three X three X3 experience as well. So this was three X three was added to my portfolio in twenty seventeen and it was a brand new program, not just at BA, but also on a global level with FIBA. Um, So they were introducing this format to increase participation, specifically targeting, you know, unorganized basketball um, in countries such as Southeast Asia and Europe, where pick-up ball or street ball was such a big culture. Um, So my first trip with Australian teams was an under-18 World Cup in Chengdu in China. And we were playing out of a shopping mall. In a very busy location, but it was way more than basketball. It was like an urban youth festival, right? So there was food trucks, there was music, there was DJs, there was dunk competitions, there was shootouts, skill challenges. It was all very explosive. Um, Yao Ming, who was uh, the basketball of um, the president of Chinese basketball, was the face of it all, and he's practically a god in China. So that event was. Shockers. there was massive crowds and it was not just to watch the basketball it was just to get a glimpse of your mean and I managed to get a selfie with him as well <laughs> I literally <laughs> my head reached his elbows <laughs> which was really cool but um I was gonna that say was... for
0: for those people that don't know Priyanka's not exactly pushing six foot on the uh on the scale
1: <laughs> yeah exactly I'd like to say I'm five Uh, four and a half, but um, that might be a bit of an exaggeration. So, yeah, that was my first exposure to 3x3. And obviously, since then, I've been able to travel with the teams to um, Asia Cups. I've been to um, Com Games. I've been to the Tokyo Paralympics. So those were all incredible experiences. But the Com Games for me in particular was really rewarding because the two programs that I managed came together. And it was an absolutely integrated competition. So wheelchair and able-bodied 3x3 all played out of the same venue. They trained out of the same venue. Accommodation was at the same place. And what I loved the most was just to see the camaraderie between the teams. I just loved how much the able-bodied team supported wheelchair and vice versa. And just to see that kind of culture was incredible. So very privileged to be a part of that.
0: Well, let's keep going with the 3x3. We just saw last week the two Aussie squads announced for the Asia Cup, which is going on as we record this. And we've got Opals such as Annalie Maley involved. We've got WNBL players. We've got some NBL players involved. 3x3 is still a bit of an untalked-about style of the game in Australia and in the mainstream media. But obviously it's going to be front and centre in Geelong in a couple of years at the Commonwealth Games. As someone that, as you just kind of told us about being around 3x3 worldwide, where is it at globally compared to the traditional kind of five on five game? And what are some of the biggest misconceptions, I guess, that you find when you talk to people in Australian basketball about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, good question. I mean, I'd start with rephrasing misconceptions. I think I don't think it's misconceptions as much as it is a lack of knowledge or awareness around our programs. Um, and a bit of promotion as well. I think it's been challenging in Australia, specifically due to FIBA's ranking point system. And for those that don't understand that, um, it's modelled a little bit off of the ATP circuit for tennis, where you know athletes go to different events and collect points, but they're not just collecting them individually like they do in tennis for their rankings. But in 3x3, they're also collecting it for their federation. So Australia's ranking depends on our top 50 athletes that are playing 3x3 around the world. Um, Now, for Australia, geographically, it's a bit of a challenge because most of these high-level FIBA events are predominantly in Europe. And it's easy for those countries to go around the circuit, play in different events every weekend where it's, you know, maybe a drive or a short flight, and they're able to collect a huge number of points. Um, So for us, it's been really challenging to sort of build that competition framework domestically and then also to be able to send our teams overseas and be able to tour on this um, pro circuit that FIBA set up. So it's something that we're working on. um, And we're definitely trying to find innovative ways around it. So we're working with Basketball New Zealand who um, have got their pro events and they've invited a few other Asian countries that are actually getting pretty good at 3x3. So, um, you know, having the Japans and the Chinas and the Philippines and Singapore and Malaysia come to these events in either New Zealand or Australia is going to really help us boost our ranking points, but also get that exposure to international 3x3. So um, I think we're on the right track in terms of building it. But there's a few challenges geographically that we need to overcome or be innovative around um i guess regardless of all this australia should be super proud of our 3x3 history so far it's a short one but we've had repeated success internationally uh we've had seven gold medals and four bronze medals across both our teams and this is asia cup and world cups only um so i think it's been great and the style of play really suits Aussie basketball. It's, you know, fast, it's dynamic, it's physical. Um, and I can say anyone that's been involved in 3 3 has absolutely loved it. So anyone that's had a taste of it uh, falls in love with it, which is <laughs> great. And, you know, I don't want to j- jinx this, but our girls in Singapore right now at the Asia Cup are um, playing extremely well. They got two massive wins last night. 21 0 in the first one, and then 21 2 in the second game. So they've got their final qualifying round game today against South Korea. And with that win, they go into the main draw, which is played across the weekend. And the winners of this Asia Cup then qualify into the Paris Olympic qualifiers the start next year. So this is an extremely important tournament for us.
0: I guess one of the things that often gets pushed back to me about 3x3 is that when it reaches that top level there isn't any coaches so the whole thing is that the players are kind of coaching themselves but as I push back to the people that are saying that to me well they have to be coached in the game prior to actually playing so the the role of the coach whilst very different to traditional five-on-five basketball still has perhaps the most enjoyable part of the coaching journey, which is the trainings and the helping the athletes develop. So the the coaches that are involved at the, at the top level are obviously, they, they have kind of cut their teeth in the more kind of traditional five on five, but have then got a passion for the 3x3 game, I'm presuming, Priyanka?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So we do have a small pool of coaches that have been involved with our teams and that's primarily due to lack of opportunities, I suppose. Like I said, it's a new program. We don't have a lot of events in Australia and very limited opportunities with FIBA at the moment. Um, So yes, you're right. Like there's no on-court coaching in game, but that's again, similar to tennis, right? You have coaches that will take you through your entire season, training you and prepping you but then you can get um you can get fined for coaching in a game in tennis, and it's similar to three x three basketball. But obviously, the coach's role is extremely important.
0: The other part of your job that you talked about is the the rollers and the wheelchair program. As you said right at the start, you're heading off to Europe in twenty four hours with them. And I was lucky enough to be in Canberra earlier this year at the wheelchair basketball camp that jana and craig and the and the rest of your team ran. And saw some of the amazing work that's being done both with the athletes and the coaches in this space. And it's a bit like someone asking someone to explain space in a sentence or quantum physics. But can you tell us a bit about how the wheelchair program works at the national level? And I guess some of your favorite parts of being involved with it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the rollers program is just incredible. Like I said, it's our most successful basketball program at BA. Um, So we've had four gold medals, three silver medals, and two bronze medals. And this is only at World Championships and at uh, Paralympic Games. Uh, We've never lost an Asia-Oceania zone qualifier. So in 13 years of the history of the tournament, Australia has always won gold in the men. Um, So it's, you know, they've had so much success for the good part of over a decade. Um, However, we did finish fifth in Tokyo. So um, that was a bit of a kick for the Rollers, just because, you know, they're used to dominating on the world stage. But we're currently, you know, you know, refresh, rebuild, introduce a new style of play uh, face. It's very exciting. We've got lots of young players coming into the group. Um, So there's a squad of 15 now that's going away to Netherlands. Um, And then we'll go into Belgium to play an Easter tournament, which is where the coaches will pick their final 12 for the world champs in June this year. Um, So yes, we leave tomorrow. I still have to pack. (laughs) There's there's a lot to do. But um, yeah, it's a really exciting team. Uh, The program, a bit about the program, it's decentralized. So we've got athletes in all parts of the country. Um, They'll typically work individually or maybe with a coach, depending on where they are. Uh, That's in their daily training environment. And unlike the able-bodied basketball programs, we don't have a lot of competition domestically in Australia. So our athletes really struggle uh, for the game environment, but also just numbers, you know. So even in their DTs, um, they struggle to scrimmage 5-on-5 because we just don't have that kind of, you know, strength in numbers in wheelchair basketballs across Australia and the different locations. Um, So for us, it's really important... um, to plan our national camps to get the best opportunity possible, but also make the most of all the international events that the IWBF puts on for us and try and expose as many athletes as we can in the squad, because otherwise it's kind of, you know, a fixed roster of 12 or 15 that keep getting opportunities and you're not developing the second ring of athletes or the younger generation that needs to come through. Um. So having said that, it's, It's quite exciting that we've got um, a record number of rollers that are currently playing overseas. So we have 15 that are playing in professional contracts in Europe. Uh, They're playing in Spain, in Germany, in Italy, and in France. Um, So obviously, with that being the highest level of wheelchair basketball competition in the world, I feel like um, our rollers are sort of primed to perform really well in the world championships in june this year so it's going to be exciting and then again it's really important um, for performance because paris now has a reduced quota for wheelchair basketball it used to be 12 teams for the men it's now gone down to eight so really tough competition and a bit of work for uh, the rollers to earn their spot there my favorite part of being involved with them it's literally everything i can say this unbiasedly it's one of my one of the most rewarding parts of my role at BA, I thoroughly enjoy working with the individuals in the program. Like they're just incredible athletes with incredible stories, just great human beings. And I've developed good relationships with coaches and the staff over the years now. So I've been working with them as team manager for five years. Um, And it's just really doesn't feel like work. It's just an absolute privilege and honor to be a part of this team. Yeah.
0: I'd encourage anyone that, Hasn't watched the game of wheelchair basketball? To I mean, we we have the Kevin Coombs Cup, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, alongside the under eighteen uh, national championships in Queensland. And the Kevin Coombs Cup, will, there'll be some games on the live stream that you'll be able to to watch there as well. And whilst you won't get the full kind of metal on metal, bone crushing crashes that occur that you when you're watching it in live um, right in front of you you will get the appreciation of not only the the skill traditional basketball skills of shooting and passing that these athletes have but also the the speed at which they're moving in the court and also the kind of game sense that they are operating with where they actually have to be really conscious about where their teammates are when they move how they move and and the communication that's required on the court, that's the, the thing that uh, always grabs me when I watch them compete, so. Um, yeah. Just
1: to add to that, uh, interesting fact is that we did some work with the AIS um, scientists in sport, sport technology, and um, we've got a few of our athletes in what they call the bucket seat, which is basically made out of carbon fire that's used in Formula One cars, so really cool and um yeah that gives them a bit of an edge with that speed but it also like you talked about just you know the crash of the metal on metal and it's all very exciting
0: but I mean the good thing is that it's not like uh, the NBA when you see them crash in at the basket in the paint and they get knocked over and then they have to kind of wait for their teammates to get over to kind of pull them up like in wheelchair basketball if someone goes over then even the opposition will kind of offer them like their their chair to to kind of get up so the the spirit of sport is is very strong in the, in the whole competition as well kind of touched on how you work with lots of coaches in your role and we we talked about the 3x3 before but in the wheelchair space what are some of the challenges that the coaches kind of have that might be different from a 5x5 coach the the main thing I'm thinking about that some of our listeners probably won't be aware of is that newer coaches have to be elite mathematicians as well at all times, don't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there is that added element of technicality with the classification points. So um, we have what we call low pointers, mid pointers and high pointers in wheelchair basketball. So that's their um, ability to play the sport. Um, based on their disability, if that makes sense. So um, at one given point in time, you can only have 15 points on court. So when the coaches are making substitutions, they need to be really conscious of um, what combinations they've got. So you know it'll be easy if they're just swapping in a high pointer for another high pointer, but if they're changing the makeup of those points on court, they need to be able to add up those sums really quickly and make sure that they're not getting tech filed for being over 15. so yeah, that's, that's a uh, one, that's one added technicality, I suppose. But I think an extension of that is really just um, the barrier around knowledge of the sport. I feel like coaches think of wheelchair basketball and feel like it could be too complicated. You know, there's the, the technical element of classification points that we just talked about, but um they feel like there's, you know, it's, it's a whole new sport and could be too hard, but it, it. No, it isn't. It's it's still basketball. It's played under the same rules. So I think there is just that misconception that it could be too hard to understand. But we have a lot of able-bodied coaches that have been able to transfer through to wheelchair coaching because they still have a really good understanding of basketball as a sport, which is what you need as a starting point. So um, ha- for us at BA, having Jenna Meisens in a new role as a coach development manager has been instrumental she's done a great job in recruiting and then all the work she's done with you Neil in building that curriculum for you know the introduction into wheelchair basketball coaching has been phenomenal I think so um, we had our first pathways camp in December last year um, where we introduced that um, module of you know introduction to wheelchair basketball coaching and um, we had 30 new coaches come through uh, more than half were female, which is an absolute first for our sport. I think it's fantastic. Um, we've been able to recruit some ex-athletes. Um, so that's been huge because, you know, that's that knowledge and intel of the sport that's sitting there. And you should be able to tap into, which we would we did successfully with one camp. So obviously, we're hoping to make this an annual event. Um, and I'd say to anyone listening in. Um, wheelchair basketball coaching isn't that scary? if you've got a knowledge of basketball coaching as it is, then um yeah, that's that's starting point.
0: hundred percent. I think I'll be totally honest. when I was talking to Jana Wright when she started in that role, my greatest barrier to getting my head around being able to help her was the fact that I've never been in a wheelchair. and how would I coach someone to do something in a wheelchair and very quickly and not because Jana pulled me up on anything but just through actually the questions she asked I suddenly realized that it's like if you are a five a traditional five on five basketball coach you're not going to be coaching many of your athletes to run like they're going to turn Definitely. up to you and they're going to be able to move around the court you'll have lazy athletes the same way you'll have lazy athletes in um, wheelchair basketball you just have to tell them to work harder It's not you're not teaching them to run same way you're not teaching the wheelchair athletes how to use their chair, because realistically, they are going to be better in a wheelchair than you potentially would be in um, on a running technique anyway. So, yeah, I think that's obviously one of the kind of real high level things that people go. I couldn't coach wheelchair basketball because I don't know how to teach someone how to use a wheelchair. Like you said, it's not about the chair Uh, it's about the athlete the same thing that we bring up with every kind of element of coaching we talk about coach the person not the not the sport I suppose
1: yeah absolutely
0: Priyanka the last question we ask everyone who comes on the podcast and I'll be really interested in your answer on this one if there's one coach in any sport either with us or or passed on that you could ask a question who would the coach be and what would the question be
1: I did have to think about this one a bit. Um, and I'm not copying Tess Magin's answer here, but <laughs> I did want to say Greg Popovich as well. I am yeah. a big Spurs fan, so that's one. But secondly, I completely agree with everything Tess said in terms of his unique ability to build special connections with all the athletes and staff um, on his team. Uh, but I think especially when you're coaching team sport, You need to learn how to manage different personalities and learn like different or unique styles to motivate each of those personalities and lead and inspire different levels. But for me, I'd like to extend that question to Greg in terms of what Tess asked, but extend it to, you know, how he might have had to adjust his coaching philosophy and his knowledge because he's done this for more than I think it's 49 years. It's it's insane. (laughs) So you know. he would have, I guess, had to adjust and kept up with like the changing style of basketball over the years, but also adjusted his mindset and philosophy for all the successes and the failures he may have had over the journey. So I think it's really interesting. And I'd love to ask Greg how he managed to do this over like almost 50 years of coaching basketball <laughs> and the most incredible athletes in basketball at that.
0: Brianka, it's okay that you double up because it, it does just show that you're an avid listener of the podcast. So that's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought I might slip that in there.
0: Brianka, <laughs> thank you so much for giving up your time. Uh we'll let you go and get packed for your trip tomorrow. And yeah, good luck for the the tour of Europe. And obviously we'll be cheering on the uh, Aussie squads in the Asia Cup over the next uh hopefully the next week when they both make it through to the next stages of the competition
1: yeah absolutely thanks neil it's been a pleasure and um yes everyone please follow ba socials for the asia cup updates on 3x3 teams but also the rollers in europe over the next 10 days